But the, the, guy, the guy who's the, another senior executive called Yamada, he's the president of Rakuten. Um, he got asked, what, what, why, what are the benefits of 5G? And you thought, okay, he, here he's going to say, well, we've got all these new applications. I'm so pleased you asked. And he went, well, there's a lot more capacity, isn't there? So you can watch films really quickly and it's you get faster, latency for, for good gaming. <laughs> yeah, he was, a co- he was like a bit right, like Ray Winston as well. He was like, you know, it's like... <laughs> it's a little bit faster, isn't it? <laughs> but it's just, it's just a bit... It's a little it's bit underwhelming. It's fucking one better, isn't it? <laughs> Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. We've actually managed to come into the studio two weeks in a row. Hurrah for us. Uh, so, as per the new regime, it's just me and Ian from Light Reading, um, and we are going to chat. Sounds like a similar sort of lineup to last week, but some different takes on it. We're going to chat about China yeah. rather than just Huawei specifically, although the two are obviously in the telecoms context completely intertwined. <clears throat> then we're going to talk about uh, 5G, some developments this week that concern 5G. Um, uh, in the area of oh, there was a there was a launch uh, by it was Rakuten. by Rakuten in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Rakuten is it? Never we, never quite sure how to pronounce it. A or the U? I think if you talk to someone from Japan, they'd constantly go, "You're pronouncing it wrong." Even Whatever. though you tried as much as it's like Spanish, isn't it? You say it and then they yeah. say it back, and you say it the same way, and they go, "Nah." Doesn't sound well, at least right, I know with so. Spanish, it's normally the penultimate vowel. Well, you're all right with that, yeah. but nobody else is. Um, maybe that's why I say Rakuten because I've, I've got a sort of hidden Spanish Wait, accent. So it's supposed to be what? Ra- Rakuten. Well, he I says Rakuten. I think it's Rakuten. Rakuten. I think it's Rakuten. Though, I think. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Do it. But, probably right. I don't think there's a lot of overlaps between Japanese and Spanish, so I don't think I can pull rank on that one. Anyway, so Rakuten's launched for 5G, and we've got some other stuff that I've already forgotten about that we're going to talk about with 5G, and you'll remind me. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then and then we're going to finish off by talking about cloud, specifically Telco Cloud. Yeah. The uh, big um, US tech companies are getting increasingly interested in the telco space, so that's obviously relevant. And just to remind you that if you're watching it on the site or on YouTube or on Facebook, you can listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and loads of other podcasting platforms. Right, we'll crack on, because yet again, Pierre's on some kind of deadline or other. <laughs> Such a busy boy. <laughs> Uh, and and we're doing this on a Thursday because Pierre's got a birthday party tomorrow. <laughs> well, a small gathering of about four people. Oh yes, certainly no more than six. Not, good yeah. lord, no. It's um, good for me. <laughs> yes, well, quite as true. <laughs> upside of of coronavirus is you don't have to kill yourself doing birthday oh, parties. Oh god, yeah, that's good. Um, so yeah, I'll start off China, China. There was that um, debate with Trump and Biden this week, which I, did, oh, I couldn't watch. Did, we were just saying before we started. Did they say China a lot in a weird way? Well, I don't know, but China it just becomes the way... Before Trump was even president, when he was campaigning, he used to bang on about China the whole time, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and, and he'd always pronounce it in that Trumpy sort of accentuated, narrow mouth. way that he does. It's a horrible voice that he's got, yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to go on that tangent, but by the sounds of it, that presidential debate they had was just awful. I think it was disaster was the word most commentators yeah, used. Car How crash, could they possibly have a second show. and a third now? Apparently they're going to change the format because of what happened. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it's just, I don't know. There was a lot of talking over the top of each other as well. Yeah, Trump was trying, Trump. To, trying, to, trying to give it large and, and Biden was trying to give it large back and it's all just a bit pathetic. And yeah, I think just the saddest thing, just to draw a line under it, is uh, j- just for Americans. This yeah. is their choice. Um, it's like being presented with Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> God, heaven forbid if that happened, eh? 
Yeah, well, yeah, Bojo hasn't set the world on fire since, but he, he didn't come over as anywhere near as much of a douche as Trump no, did in this not thing. Quite. Um, and uh, and yeah, the equivalent of Biden would be more like Sanders in the well, states. I, th- I, think. I, I think Johnson's no, got I mean, a bit of charisma. Corbyn. He's just totally incompetent. I think he, he can be quite charming. Yeah. I, I think. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he has, he has his moments. Way, but he has his moments, but um, and he can be amusing as well. But I tell you, we won't be we won't be so accommodating to him if we stop being able to come in for these pods again because they've unilaterally said we've all got to no. lock ourselves in the cellar and in case we catch a cold. He's up for that, having caught it himself. He seems to think that we should. That does seem yeah. to have made him a bit gun shy. Anyway, yeah. um, so we're not going to totally go away from politics because, of course, anything to do with the US and China is political. Mm-hmm. Um, so the I suppose the most the most immediate thing to talk about is sort of developments in Europe. Yeah. Uh, we're getting some vibes. There was, um, you're good at pronouncing German stuff. What's that paper called? <laughs> Hand- well, Handelsblatt. Handelsblatt, there we go. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I am good at pronouncing German well, you stuff. Well, you better not, but, uh, <laughs> You're good at, yeah, there's sometimes some like Deutsche Telekom guys. Oh, and you Bruno, say, uh, yeah. Jakob Feuerburn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got <laughs> there's, these, there's him, yeah. Because Germans like these 20 letter words <laughs> with no vowels well, That's in the them. problem. If you go into like a bakery in Germany trying to order something, it's like a whole sentence like yeah. without spaces. In it's like, what's wrong words? with spaces? Do they cost, do they cost Deutschmarks? <laughs> um, so, uh, anyway, Handelsblatt, is that it? And, yeah, I think so. Handelsblatt uh, got a scoop that the German government is it's not as not as black and white as the UK did um, a month or two ago where we just went all right and yeah total ban by 2028 but they said we're going to the the report which hasn't yet to be confirmed by the German government I believe mm-hmm. um, said that they're going to ramp up the uh, security requirements such that it's sort of effectively a ban. And what I thought was most noteworthy about that report is it said that there's going to be a security, a technical security screening process and a political screening process. And as soon as you start saying that we're going to assess things politically, then there's, there's no there's no criteria, is it? No, no. Well, I think one of the interesting things is that before um, they they'd sort of very much. I think some of these European reports that have been coming out, you know, at the EU level, have have sort of tried to do this thing of dividing the network into you know more sensitive areas and areas we don't have to worry about. And, yeah. and the bit that everybody seems to be been concerned about is the core, which yeah. is like the. It's like the cockpit of the network, I suppose, the control centre where all the decisions are taken. So the idea is, if you, you know, if you get access to that, you, you can really kind of screw up someone's yeah. system. And and Germany already, I think the operators in Germany have pretty much all said they're not going to use Chinese equipment in the core. So is it there? Is it in the core right now? It's You're in the core of Deutsche Telekom's network, and right. they're removing it. They've they they basically said this in earnings calls. The CEO said, we're working towards a Chinese-free core. Right. Uh, Vodafone came out with that announcement um, months ago, actually, that they're going to spend $200 million, yeah, to take the um, Chinese products out of all their core networks in Europe. They haven't got it in the UK, but they've got it in Germany and various other ones. And then Telefonica Deutschland, as well, has basically said they... I don't know if they have it already, but they're not going to have Huawei in the 5G core. So they've already sort of taken the step to do that. Now, yeah. I guess if the... German government then goes and introduces legislation where it says actually the radio access network is a sensitive area as well, which maybe that maybe that's one of the things that might happen with this forthcoming legislation. Yeah. Then that would imply that the you know on the on the basis of that just being told that this is an area that we should we should be concerned about. Oh, we're not going to use Chinese vendors. Then presumably yeah. they do exactly the same thing. Looks like it. So it feels like 
It feels like a sort of uh, mission creep in, in the direction that the UK went. Yeah. But they want to be even more equivocating and ambiguous about doing it. Yeah. That's um, because the, the German car manufacturers are sweating. Well, there we are. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Beamer's going, how but are we going to flog? I think another thing they might do, and this this also came out of a, an earnings call with Deutsche Telekom, where Hercules, the, the CEO, was asked about the possibility of a Huawei ban. And he said he didn't think a ban was going to happen. But one thing he was pushing for was for in this forthcoming legislation, the Electronic Communications Code or whatever it's called, in, it's just called the Telecoms Act, I think, that they're, you know, they're kind of refining and, and changing. He, one of the things he wanted to see happen was for open RAN uh, requirements to be included in that in future. Right. So if you're basically networks have to be, you know, they have to have open interfaces. They have to be. We talk about run all the time on this yeah. podcast, but they have to basically adhere to that those specifications. The the idea being that it would, you know, it, it brings the kind of um, competition into the landscape that everybody's pushing for, and it, it means you don't have black boxes. You've got more visibility, so you can sort of push it from a security perspective in yeah. a way. But the, the thing that's interesting about that is that Huawei is is vigorous is still pretty vigorously opposed to open RAN, and I find it very hard to see how, you know, you can sort of see Nokia is more I think amenable to it than the other big vendors, and Ericsson's now starting to say, well, in the future we're going to have to yeah. maybe move that. But way. they've always but been a bit unconvincing. They've always been a bit unconvincing. But Huawei, the trouble is that even if they did change tack and say, well, actually, open RAN something we probably need to support. Can you really see open RAN sort of? I mean, they're I just, the thing about Open RAN is it's a community. Everybody works together. You know, it's about using yeah. different vendors, mixing and matching. And you're going to have to change equipment anyway to get there. It's not like you can leave your stuff there. So it gives it sort of gives Deutsche Telekom an excuse to, you know, to upgrade and take stuff out and put in new ORAN equipment. And then maybe yeah, maybe if Huawei does adapt and, and start to do stuff that's ORAN compliant, they have the option. But they wouldn't necessarily do it. And, and I still find it odd that. I just don't see how how ORAM would fit with Huawei's sort of modus operandi. You know, it's yeah. it's quite a sort of closed company anyway. I think you know they. Well, but that's but that that's the central issue, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so they have all these they have all these centres like we've got in the UK, which I still maintain. I had no problem with the rationale we had at the start of the year, with our security people going. Look, we we can take this stuff to bits. Yeah. We can see whether there's any backdoors or any vulnerabilities. And, and I'm totally convinced that the only reason we changed is, well, there's two, I think it's a political decision, but what the Americans did by um, by restricting access to all these chips that we chatted about last week, they gave the sort of the political arm of the security bits, that the bits where the security and the politicians overlap in the Venn diagram, all the pretexts they needed to go, oh, well, it's changed now. Yeah. Security situation's changed, so our recommendations changed. But I'm, that's just the veneer for the political decision as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I think it's both, because I think, as an, you know, even if there aren't restrictions on Huawei, um, and even if you get countries that say, well, we don't care about any of that, you know, we're going to carry on, it's up to the operators. I still think operators would look at that move and be worried about what happens to... I mean, there's a lot of analysts warning that you've got all sorts of expectations about what might happen to Huawei now in the future. But I don't think anybody's saying this isn't going to have some impact on Huawei's competitiveness. You know, it's it's probably going to become... Oh, right. Not Oran. The, 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 the German the, thing? No, no, oh. the, the US restrictions... Oh, yeah, yeah. The US Sorry. restrictions yeah, yeah. will... The worst-case scenario, according to some analysts, is that Huawei runs out, runs out of inventory in a year and a, year and a half, yeah. whatever, and, and ends up going out of business um, somehow. Um, or 
you know, probably more likely is that it's going to have to fall back on something that isn't quite that isn't as good, basically. Yeah, it's it, hard to see how they can make decent phones. Um, same with network and, and equipment. As per, yeah, as per our chat last week, yeah. same goes for the chips and network so, equipment. So they, they, they basically, there's no way, there's, I haven't spoken to one, I've spoken to a few people on this, and I haven't spoken to one person who knows about semiconductors and has talked about this, who says, who says this isn't going to have any impact on them. Of course. No one said they've got alternatives that they can go to that, that are, are, are as good as what they use at the moment. And they've all said they might get there in the future. You know, if they were given five or six years, you might be able to start developing that those sort of US tools and you know the equivalent of the US tools that are so essential to the semiconductor industry. I think we talked about this last week, didn't we? Applied materials and all, and all that. that lot. Yeah, I don't think you suddenly start. You can't do that overnight. It takes no. years, apparently. Especially so, when you get into the manufacturing processes and yeah, and the the sheer amount of R and D and and engineering grunt yeah. that goes into perpetuating Moore's law and reducing that manufacturing process by a node every year yeah. and a half or so, whatever. So if you're an operator seeing all this, you're going, hang on a minute, one of our suppliers is in a situation where it's going to run out of decent inventory in a year's time. You know, they're, they're going to lose, I mean, everybody's gone on about how great they are compared to their big rivals. You know, that's been one of the stories of the last yeah. sort of few years that they're extremely competitive and have technical and stuff. Everyone, I think that. that's total rubbish, but yeah. I think there are some areas where they seem to be really, really good and I think that's fair. But if they lose that, and if there's a danger they run out of stock and can't carry on supplying you anyway, then why would you carry on using Whatever your government says, you're going to be looking at this yeah. going, it's, any CTO is going to be saying we need to move to a different vendor. So, okay, so I, I take your point that now, because the US has created a situation where um, a starving it of kit will necessarily make it a security threat just by virtue of, of not, you know, even just not being able to maintain its existing kit or whatever. So there's all that. So there's various excuses, and I think the Americans have done a good job of a combination of applying pressure through through um, the entity list yeah. and then applying diplomatic pressure. And so that's what seems to be manifesting itself in Germany. Again, unconfirmed, but according to this report, and they said this is from chatting to people in the government, and it'd be unlikely for them to just make it up. So I think we can assume it's fairly legit. Yeah. Um, and so... Yes, it's this political consideration. Yeah. So, you know, Huawei can open it up itself up as much as it wants. But the political consideration, again, basically comes down to, as we've chatted about loads of times on this pod, are you Chinese or not? Yeah, It's the political exactly. consideration. Yeah. Because there is something intrinsically distrustful. Now, I don't think... Something it, intrinsically dirty. I think yeah, and, the, and this isn't, likes. you know, I should stress, this is not, uh, this is not in reference to Chinese people or race or... You know, this isn't blind xenophobia. No, it's the government. This is this is very much an informed position uh, taken from the view that, um, and and I'll I'll get to sort of further evidence of this in a sec. That the, I suppose the slightly more xenophobic thing is is an intrinsic shiftiness that is sort of assumed, um, but the more substantial thing is you know evidence that they claim to have that they have got up to no good industrial espionage. Everyone knows that they've done things like currency manipulation. Everyone knows they haven't played by WTO rules yeah. by you know by illegally supporting domestic champions. Well, they, I think there's, there's also the thing. ethical point, isn't there? That is it a good idea to be buying stuff from a totalitarian state? That, yeah, that has. I mean, this is you know, buy oil from Saudi Arabia or whatever. Sure, but there are a lot of people say we shouldn't. And one yeah. of the things that's come up repeatedly, I think, with Huawei when politicians have got involved is well, they've got millions of people in 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 concentration camps. Yes, the Muslims. That always gets brought up. You know, yeah, so yeah. it's definitely a. You know, Saudi Arabia is all right because Saudi Arabia is basically not a threat to the world order. 
they're just a bunch of Middle Easterners well, running, and, running around and geopolitically selling oil. they're a counterweight to Iran as well yeah uh, but China you're talking about you know the one of the world's big superpowers they're, the, they're, yeah. the, they're the new Russia in a way aren't they I mean Russia's still a, an issue in itself well, but yeah they're, they're, they're the, the new Russia the USSR rather the new USSR well, the new USSR um, with 10 times the economy that yeah. the USSR w- ever had would we have bought equipment off the USSR would western countries have bought equipment back in the, the day USSR? back in the day yeah so well, we haven't China's officially announced cold now. war we haven't got a red stamp and gone cold no, but, war but it yet. is but it is the cold war it's a tech cold yeah. war i think people have I used so. that um, and, a, and a trade cold war yeah i think the other thing is on the you know you're talking about the um political pressure from the us and i was just saying that um operators might just decide to act anyway because they're worried about supplies and, and competitiveness of Huawei gear. I think there's been some the signs of some political pressure, you know, directly from US politicians on the operators themselves. And Right. Wouldn't put it past them. Well Telefonica's a really interesting one because they have this they've got this clean networks campaign in the US at the moment. Yeah. Now one of the things that was interesting, Mike Dana wrote a story on this, Mike at Light Reading and um, there were statements in that from Telefonica's CEO where he was actually specific. The specific quote was one of the most interesting canned quotes I think I've ever read, where he'd said, we have clean networks. This is taking the US yeah. definition of clean, which basically means no Chinese yeah. gear. We have clean networks in Spain and the UK, and we're going to be working towards them in yeah. Germany and so Brazil. So that's total compliance. Which, which sounds like Telefonica Deutschland, which does have a lot of Huawei gear in the radio access network. I mean, if you take that, this is the CEO of the group. If you take that to its, what it, what it seems to imply is to get rid of the Huawei yeah. RAN gear, you know, totally. in the next few years. So. Totally. I, don't, I, I don't see a future for them in Europe. I no, really well, and then on top of that, just to put the cherry on the cake, there's one I just wrote quite quickly before I scurried off to do this pod, um, which is uh, there Italy. was a joint, yeah, there was a joint press conference with Mike Pompeo, the American Secretary of State, for just getting stuff done, yeah, and the Italian Foreign Minister Di Maio, I think is his name, um, and and Di Maio basically came out. This wasn't even a response to a journalist question. It's in his prepared speech going like we're totally with the US on 5G security it's really important and we're always telling the EU that we got to get our shit together on this one um, and but we're still going to do it the EU way that you know he wasn't going to stick his neck out too far and and enrage you know <laughs> Ursula yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to, I don't want to be part of I don't want to be part of any block that's run by someone called Ursula yeah she belongs in the James Sounds Bond like someone's film. great granny anyway that's a little mermaid is oh, that, yeah, yeah. Is she Ursula? I thought she was Ariel. Yeah, Ariel, but then the villain is Ursula. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, it makes me think of... You've got, you've got younger children yeah. than me. You're more familiar with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, attacking p- people's names gratuitously aside. Um, so, yeah, he basically said that. And, and so, he, so yeah, my view is that uh, Germany steers the EU anyway. Yeah. And if Germany decides it's time, then that's how it's going to happen. But the fact that the Italians are coming out um, and France has already done it right. in, a, in a sort of surreptitious way. They've okay. basically said they're not going to it's renew. It's a sneaky French way. Well, it's not too dissimilar to what Germany's doing, I suppose, that Germany's introducing laws right. that might just make it difficult. Whereas yeah. I think France has said it won't renew Huawei licenses in its different they're regions. They're trying to give themselves some up, kind of diplomatic wriggle yeah, room with the Chinese, yeah. basically, yeah. aren't they? Rather than just go at it like the UK, like a sort of bullet again, yeah. you know, like you... Well, we tried. We tried half <laughs> measures and then we bottled it. Friends of Germany are like, ooh, it's a bit awkward, but yeah. <laughs> I think... Uh, we're not going to be... Uh, they're not renewing. part of Five Eyes, though, so they were never going to have been under the same amount of pressure. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I, I think I think that's just the... Uh, that's going to be how history remembers the Johnson regime. We, we, we tried to give it a proper go and then we bottled it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, on, on various things. Quite, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, God, I was just reading a thing. Sorry, permit me another little coronavirus tangent. Just reading a thing about the sort of Swedish example and yeah. all the data points and all this, that, and the other. And I've chatted to Swedes about it as well. And how increasingly it seems clear that that their approach was right. Even some of the counterpoints, like, well, it's a much smaller population and all that sort of thing. Population density is no less than Scotland, for example. Yeah. But they're doing a lot better. And, of course, the, the, the key thing is not so much their case rate or fatality rate, but that their economy is doing fine. Yeah. I think Swedish stock, stock exchange hit a new high. Yeah. Anyway. Well, so. I, I suppose the other thing is they didn't incur all that debt to prop things up. Well, quite. Yeah, yeah. So they're just on. in much so that, better they did, shape. I think they took a GDP fall, but the, the stories that have concentrated on that didn't point out the fact that they didn't incur... Yeah, they didn't have to bail everyone trillions out. Trillions in doing what, what we've done, whatever. I know. Trillions um, of, what is it? I can't remember what the currency is. But, Krono over yeah. there. Yeah, it'd be Krono. Crowns. I believe that is. Swedish yeah. for crowns. It's good, proper old school money. You want you want money called things like crowns yeah. and shekels Drachma. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Bloody shekels, euros. Yeah, shekels is a good one. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so they're all on board. And I agree with you. I think, I think, um, their days are numbered. I think I wrote at the end of one of my pieces, a bit, you know, the thought of Europe being Huawei free by the end of this decade is totally plausible. Yeah, we've gone for twenty twenty eight as the final yeah. cut off point. Well, um, this is what I think that countries need, and this is this is the other thing I think about France's route. Like when equipment licenses come up for expiry, we won't renew them. And Germany sort of saying new legislation that's forthcoming. It gives them they need a glide path. Yeah. The worst thing for Timotheus Hergis is if someone comes along and goes, Right, next year you need to it's be all over. That's a disaster. Yeah, because they, they they can by that stage they can do their calculations about depreciation yeah, and, and, and natural. And they do an upgrade every out. few years every anyway. Yeah, so exactly. you, you're gonna do it's, this is the point that our friend uh, John Strand has often gone on about and I think been sort of vindicated, hasn't he? Because yeah. there was all this stuff coming out out about how swapping Huawei's gear is going to cost billions and billions and you know no one's going to have any money left after it and he quite rightly pointed out that you you need to upgrade a lot of stuff anyway so the incremental cost isn't that high and then BT's basically gone yeah that's right it's only going to cost five it's going to yeah, be the same to replace right. the whole lot as long as, as you give us long enough yeah yeah so I've got a funny one actually uh John was just uh messaging me he messaged me a story saying UK found critical weakness in Huawei equipment Oh, yeah, last I year. saw that. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I looked through it, and it looked like it was... Looks it looked like, like it, an old story to me. It looked like an old story. It looked like broadband routers. Yeah, yeah. And so I, so I texted back routers, and he texted back Bloomberg. Which <laughs> 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 so I thought was quite good. I don't even know if he meant it a joke, because I went lol, and, <laughs> and he didn't lol back. But I thought that was quite funny, because, you know, my, my pushback was like routers, not that exciting. And, and, you know, and we've already was, banned them. If it was some, <laughs> it was some big ass switch, in, yeah. you know, in the corner. It would be a bigger corner. story if we still hadn't taken the decision as well, surely. It's yeah. like, who cares anymore? They're out. They're, they're, they're off in a few years. Yeah. I mean, the fixed line thing's a bit more, in fairness, the fixed line thing's not quite clear yet, is it? What their role could That's be So, so, um, so yes, so I think I think we agree that the days are numbered. It's just a matter of time, and certainly by twenty thirty, there's not going to be a lot of it about unless unless something changes. You know, Trump wins the election, goes around Xi Jinping's house. Yeah, Xi Jinping goes, "All oh, right, Trump has a go, mate." <laughs> like Ray Winston. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a Chinese Ray Winston. He's <laughs> all right, a nice one, mate. Um, <laughs> and uh, six five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, and, Trump goes, and Trump goes, look, I, look, I was just mucking about to win the election. Now that I won it, we're all right, mate. Don't worry about <laughs> it. And, and then maybe maybe we'll be good. But I doubt it. 
And, and presumably um, by the late 20s. In fact, after that thing we were talking about earlier, I doubt he'll win the election. I well, think too yeah. many, he's, just, he's just revealed he's in a douchebag too Although, much. Although, anyway. even if he doesn't win, he might stay in the White House anyway. Who knows? Yeah, saying, it's going it? to be... Uh, it's going to be a mess towards the end of this year. You, you know just I mean? know it. Just that, that icing on the cake of 2020. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, fu- the, the big climax, you know, just like... Do you know what I mean? And then the aliens. <laughs> yeah. On New, on, on New Year's Eve. The boss battle yeah. right at the end. Um... So, uh, yeah, so one other thing I wanted to say. Sorry, Ian, we, I just interrupted. Bang I was, I was going to say, presumably by the late 2020s as well, if all, if all goes to plan, you lose Huawei, but you gain some other companies that we that we don't have at the moment. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? Now we're, we're supposedly trying to uh, cultivate alternatives and, you know, make well, make that a was that thing. thing I don't know if we chatted about it last week, that task force. Yeah, this is what this. Uh, yeah, we didn't mention the task force right. that was set up to, in the UK with all these luminaries like yeah. Ian Livingston, who's now some kind of baron. To be honest, used to, used to the only him, thing that gave they? it more credibility for me was Ross Singleton, who who did the yeah. uh, well, telecoms.com live. I think thing. there were good people on it. She she Scott knows Petty's her stuff. Scott Petty's on it from Vodafone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know about Ian Livingston. I mean, he was. It seems funny that he's there because he was one of the guys who gave Huawei its first big break in the UK. He was a senior executive at BT right. when they got their yes. first optical deals, and then he led it for five years while their share was growing. And then Huawei so, UK, which its non-exec board is riddled with BT knights of the realm. Exactly. Yeah, you go and join it afterwards. Yeah. Don't you? But um, so yes, I but, mean, I'm not sure what a thing will do. Like I said, you know, people like Roz are good. Uh, people like the the techies at the operators obviously know their stuff. Yeah, but I um, think one of the things we've done really badly in this country is, you know, you look at Japan. I think we're going to talk about Japan in a minute, but just sort of preempting that. Sure. One of the things that Japan seems to be keen on doing with this whole security debate and you know move away from Huawei is to try and strengthen some of the companies that it has tech tech, tech companies that make 5G equipment and invest in new ones and, and find sort of alternatives and I see you know the US has got you know it's got these open RAN software companies that could become a much bigger deal in the future and the UK just doesn't seem to have no any and, and that, presumably this is what we've got a task, task force what are you moaning about you know Shall I mean sell some merch on t- the task force you know the task force right t- task force merch yeah yeah, it's we a could crack a squad of, of yeah, telecom. sort of Team America type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it is. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's more like the Expendables. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The, the, there's a funny story of that task force thing. So we wrote a story. One of the one of the freelancers who's filling the Jamie shaped void. Mm-hmm. So for people who aren't who aren't aware, if you ever read uh, Total Telecom, we've got Nick and Mary who ran Total Telecom for years. Um, now writing a couple of stories a day. They're not really they, the same shape as Jamie, though, are they? Either of them? No, no. I can't. I can't imagine how we could how we could square that one. But uh, they're they're metaphorically filling the hole and doing a very good job as well. Yeah. And, um, and Mary wrote one about this thing, and she characterised it as this task force. She characterised it as an anti-Huawei task force. Yeah. And behind the scenes, without naming any names, while we sort of pushed back a little bit and had yeah. a bit of a moan saying well, it's not anti Huawei, it's just there for you know to increase diversity and, and and I was a bit like, Yeah, but why are they suddenly going on about it now? It's because we've turfed Huawei out of the country. Yeah. Anyway, in the end I went, I'll tell you what, I'll write a little follow up, making it clear that, that Huawei doesn't reckon um doesn't reckon that, that this is about them at all. Um but then while I was writing it, I was like, Well, you can reckon that, but it still is. Yeah. I mean, maybe they are right that specifically to characterise that task force as explicitly anti-Huawei is technically inaccurate. But to yeah, 
the whole reason it exists is because Huawei's been kicked yeah, out. Yeah. And the whole reason it exists is to replace Huawei. Yeah. So it's not pro Huawei, is it? No. That's for sure. So anyway, that was a little follow-up I did there. Um, and one other thing before I move it on, that's why I kept holding my phone. So if I hold it here, it makes a little buzzy sound, doesn't it? Interference or um, is, uh, at the start of the week, I wrote a story um, headlined, China becomes increasingly radicalised in response to reported SMIC ban. And so SMIC is the semiconductor manufacturer, yeah. international China, or whatever it stands for. Um and this, again, was just a report rather than an official ban. Um, but I haven't seen anything this week that refutes the report or confirms it, if I'm honest. Not that I've been looking. But Reuters reported that um, that suppliers of equipment to SMIC will have to apply for a special export license. It's now words. on the entity list, yeah. Right. So it is, I don't know. I haven't seen if the US I, has made an official I read a report, and I haven't covered this story myself, but I read that it was. Well, if this know, report's if accurate, reports, then yes, yeah. it's on the entity list. Um you know, and, and we've spoken about it, I think, in the pod before, that I just found it found it weird that a Chinese company has to ask the US for permission to do business. Yeah. But there we go. Well, it just shows the clout the US has got to mess up the Well, it does. Doesn't it? it does, which is, you know, I, I'm in two minds about, um, just in a pure sort of due process way, yeah. for one country to be able to impose its will on any other country. Well, it's similar with, the, we're getting off topic a bit here, but it's similar when, you know, when Ericsson got fined recently for... Um, corporate sort of bribery and all sorts of all sorts of dodgy behaviour between I don't know it was dated date back to two that's before the current yeah, yeah I remember anyway. that and that, that had been rumbling for years been rumbling for years it had been going around bribing officials in markets for deals basically I think was the was the sort of charge yeah. and they agreed to settle it with this billion dollar fine to the DOJ and yeah. it was just but a very a lot strange of the, thing but a lot can, of the alleged crimes have been committed nowhere near the states Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet the US can come along and say, you have to pay us this yeah. money. And then what happens with that money? They just use that to build roads or whatever. Or... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it doesn't it is, seem quite right It to is me. funny. It's... When you get an imbalance in power dynamics, it doesn't matter whether it's your ally mm-hmm. or, or a country you're less yeah. warmly disposed towards, they deserve examination. Just like we should be examining the unilateral way in which the government could just tell us what to do at the moment yeah. but we're failing to yeah. anyway I'm not going to go off on that tangent again Pierre's starting to look worried bloody yet another coronavirus tangent actually um, he loves tangents <laughs> if I'm a woman can I do a quick shout out to okay. our listeners down under oh yeah in Sydney yeah and to people in San Jose del Monte in the Philippines Ah, big listeners. Well, actually, there's wow, a, that's, a, that's a relevant story yeah. because that was another of Mary's ones where she wrote about um, Globe in the Philippines. Oh, yeah. um, oh, probably uh, probably um, blanking Huawei. Right. And that got loads of reads over the weekend, last weekend. Um, that got absolutely tons of reads. Yeah. We often get that. We get ones go viral in the Far East over the weekend. Uh-huh. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's obviously relevant. It's not, just, it's not just Europe. You know, Philippines just around the corner from China, isn't it? Yeah. So if that starts happening, that's especially worrying for Huawei. Philippines, it must be noted, has uh, among the stronger US connections, I believe, of the countries in, in Southeast Asia. Yeah. So there's probably an angle there. They were almost a colony at one point, weren't they? There's yeah. There's a bit of colonialism going on there. Yeah. There was a bit of that going on, yeah. And, and the US has got things like Guam yeah. and all that. Yeah. Um, and the Philippines itself, uh, it's, it's got a sort of big um, Hispanic yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, aspect to Formally it. Spanish. I, I'm not exactly, yeah, because it's a Spanish colony, I guess. I guess it's called that because it's named after King Philip or something. Anyway, um, so 
Yeah, so we got all that going on. But this um, SMIC thing, there was just some interesting commentary in the Chinese press, uh, specifically the, uh, what's it called? Like the Global Times or something like that. That's the that's the very state-affiliated one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. And, we, and when I check in with Wei, he goes, you know, that's not, it's not like the news agency, Xinhua or whatever that's called. But basically, if you know what, if you know what's good for you and you're a Chinese publication, you make sure that the Communist Party is not going to get the hump when you publish something. So you can, you can assume if it's not the word of the Communist Party, it's at least got the green light from them. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they had a headline that said China. This is an op-ed, but quite a prominent one. China needs a new long tech march after US attack on SMIC. And the long march, um, I had to remind myself what this is, but it's a Chinese civil war thing um, that's got sort of legendary status because it was the Communist Party having to basically march all around the country to to escape the the clutches of the Kuomintang, who were the, oh, who yeah, were the, 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 the opposition in the civil war. One that cleared off to Taiwan. And then eventually they all got together somewhere, regrouped, and then went and went and won the war. Yeah. And a lot of that was added to Chairman Mao's legendary status and all that sort of thing. So it basically when you use a term like long march, uh there's a very specific reference to the sort of cultural revolution and all that sort of thing. So it's very sort of politicized. Oh. It's also something that other communist parties, like the German Communist Party, have referred to in the sixties the long march through the institutions as the way in which communism in- inevitably collapses horrid, smelly capitalism and wins the day. Yeah. So when you're starting to get rhetoric like this, um, it just points to, that's the radicalisation I was talking to. And, and I mentioned last week that that she, you know, basically wants to appropriate private enterprise now for, he hasn't used this word, but for what something that sounds like a great leap forward, which is another cultural revolution thing, a great leap forward led to this genocide. Yeah. Because everyone starved because they were too busy melting spoons or whatever. So the Russians used to use that sort of thing. Crazy as well. stuff they came up it's with. Usually five year plan, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Show. Basically, some great big collectivist. <laughs> yeah. Let's all push in one direction. So I suppose that's the long and short of it. Is China is starting to go right? The only way we can combat this American sort of trade and diplomatic aggression against us is to kind of mobilise the whole country, which I, th- which is quite worrying to me. Yeah. Because you know, once you start mobilising. Yeah. It can take on a certain, you know, as students of the world wars and stuff, um, well, we'll be able to attest it can take on a certain irresistible momentum. So anyway, so that cheery note is is where I'll leave the the sort of China thing on. But it's basically getting more tasty by the week. Is is the long and short? It's possible this year. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and you know. And it's all intertwined. I mean, they must watch all this crazy stuff going on in the states and just be thinking, yeah, this has got to be good for us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so let's change the subject. Let's go uh, 5G, and I'll, I'll hand the ball over to you. What, what have we been chatting about? Rakuten, I guess. Yeah, Rakuten. yeah that's been the main thing, I suppose, this week yeah. for, for me, because they, um, they're they a very closely watched company as one of the pioneers of cloud and software and open RAN technologies. Yeah. And they're a, big, they're a big internet firm, basically. They're like the Asian Amazon, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've they've come along and yeah because they, before this it was like content and digital yeah, services in fact, you, and I think even on my smart TV you can order you can sort of subscribe to Rakuten yeah it TV comes up services. on my one yeah. too yeah. Yeah. so they're a big they're very, 
they're no, very much like uh, they're very much like Amazon, you know, try, try and tie you into their little ecosystem. And yeah, I mean, this is partly to do with why they've gone into telecom. They want customers they can sign up to all sorts of other services, and you get tokens you can use for telecom. Yeah. You can also use them to buy a movie on your Samsung TV or whatever. And but they, anyway, they've come along and they've built this. They're building this fourth mobile network in Japan, which is quite a bold move in itself because. Yep. It's a it's a very technologically advanced market. And the incumbents it's got three are big, very three big incumbents well established. that are very well established, as you say. Um, not considered to be that price sensitive as a market by analysts, um, and yet they've come along with these, you know, these sort of newfangled te- low cost technologies and said we can massively undercut. All very cloudy. All very cloudy. We can really yeah. undercut the other players and still make profits in the long run, and build business and you know sort of give something back and and then they get new customers for their other parts of this at record and empire yeah. as well so it's and, that internet model of, yeah. of scaling and yeah. then and then the network effect and they uh, and they'd already launched 4g in april and were expected to follow that up fairly quickly with a 5g launch but that got delayed because of coronavirus so right. i think they they sort of blamed that on some disruption to like software activities that were going on in labs. They do some of that in India, and it, it, okay. I don't know. The, no one could chat the, to each other. The, de- the details were awkward, but they, it slowed it down by a few months, and then they they launched it this week. Um, and it's I don't know. I was a bit underwhelmed, to be honest with you, by right. the update. Why is that? Well, I, th- I think following up on the 4G one was always going to be a bit difficult anyway, because that was actually the mobile service first appearing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the headline stuff there was was kind of repeated in this one. It was you know the. I mean, it's, it is quite a, a bold thing to do, I suppose, that they've kept exactly the same price. So they come in with this $28 a month offer for the 4G service. Mm-hmm. And it was about half as much as what you get with an equivalent service through NTT Docomo, let's say, right. or, or KDDI. Um, so what are they going to do with 5G? Everybody's wondering on, on pricing. And it's $28. It's exactly same the same price fee. As 4G. It's the same fee. No premium at all. No premium at all, which is an even bigger saving. I think they're saying it's about 70% compared yeah, to the 5G. Yeah, that was the diagram. So really, really, un- yeah. Yeah, really undercutting the, the other players. Big. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, I guess, it, you know, the question is whether that, does it matter that much to Japanese consumers? Because if you look at the, you know, you look at what happened with Geo in India, which they're, they're often compared to because some of the staff have actually come across from Geo. And also um, Geo is is much more than just an operator, isn't it? It's and a it's full, much more than an operator. And it, had used, it was Greenfield. It had used yeah. a lot of these sort of, not quite as sophisticated, I think, as Rakuten, but it would certainly done things in a more, you know, cloudy way than, than, than the, the established companies. But the thing about India is that everybody said it's right for disruption. Nobody's done a particularly good job. You can, there is scope for offering things at lower rates and, you know, building a business and, and it's very price sensitive. There's loads of rural yeah. consumers that don't get services because they can't afford them. Yeah, the GDP per capita in India is pretty different yeah, to Japan. And, and, and they very quickly, I mean, what, what's happened to Geo? They're now the biggest company in India. Yeah. It's, it's with remarkable, help from the absolutely government. remarkable, with, with some help from the government. Yeah. Um, with Rakuten, the, the figure they cite, having launched in April, by the end of June, they said they had one million applications. Yes. Now, applications doesn't people mean subscribers. To... That means people asking for a yeah. service. They've been very coy on that subscriber number, and they weren't prepared on the call to give an update, even yeah. though it's now October, which makes you think, I mean, if it was really good, they'd say so, wouldn't they? Quite. Who wouldn't? So, And why, why is it so difficult for them to turn an application into a subscriber? Well, this is the other question. What's the hold up there? Yeah. But but it, it, it does obviously lend some weight to the analysts who are saying it's not a very price-sensitive market and people care more about quality they're prepared to pay. I think on the quality front, the jury's out a little bit. I mean, they have these wonderful stats where they say our network can cope with twice as much data traffic and customer satisfaction levels are very high on 4G. 
But the 5G launch itself, I mean, for a start, it's not very widely available. No, you can few, only get it in a very, very few, few areas. So, yeah. you know, it's it's not the sort of thing that's going to drive a lot of a lot of customers. I don't think at the moment because most people in the country basically can't can't get the service. Um, and the speeds were, I mean, to me, they sound really good. Like 870 megabits per second was a sort of headline offer. But the Japanese media who were on the call were obviously not very impressed. They were sort of suggesting it's not as good as what the other companies are offering. You know, sub gig, okay. sub gigabit was like a bad thing, obviously, on the call. Effort. I looked into that, though, and in their presentation, they said that we, we expect to get it up to like over two gig with they it do. by November. They do, yeah. So what that made me think, so I don't disagree with any of your perspectives that you've voiced so far. What that made me think is that this is a rush to launch. Yeah. That if they'd waited till November, they would have had a much better um, speed to talk about. Or if they'd waited till Q1 next year, where their little diagram said that they expect to have nationwide coverage, whatever that will mean. Yeah. But I think they all the prefectures or whatever they call their counties or states or whatever yeah um so they're just doing it a bit early and i think that in itself was a product of the promises they made during the 4g launch yeah so i just think they put themselves under a lot of time they pressure. put under pressure and i suppose it's better to happen you know maybe they just mm. thought they had to get something up and and there was a call today actually that i was on with Tarek Amin, okay. who's the cto who was talking about that november upgrade and he's and got he's got real uh, he's got real, got real cv in the industry he? yeah and he's very smart and was, wasn't he at geo was he right? was at geo yeah. yeah and he was talking actually spe uh, specifically about how they get to two gigabits per second and and it all sounds very feasible actually I'm, right. I mean, it sounds like the, the thing for me is the subscriber numbers aren't great on 4G, yeah. So I think they've really got something to prove there with with 5G, whether it's going to whether it's going to sort of make a big difference. They've got the problem that actually a lot of 5G companies at the moment have got, which is there aren't many handsets. They're offering yeah. two. One's their own branded device, yeah. which looks really good. Do we know who the OEM of? That I don't is? know who the OEM okay. is, but it, it looks very good. And then there's a. I've there's got a, a thing that's awesome. I think it might be Sony. Okay. Well, that would oh, that would make sense. Or Sharp. Sharp's no, the Sharp, other one. Aquos. That's the other one That's they're Sharp offering. That's Sharp brand, isn't it? So they're offering two. Right, anyway, a couple of Japanese companies. A couple of that, Japanese that companies. No so it's not, it's not a big time, range of handsets. If you prefer other brands, you're going to have to wait. Um, and the no other thing... Sharp phones. Yeah, the, but the other thing I was a bit underwhelmed by is you come in with a, a, a 5G service as a company that's an internet firm, very disruptive, doing all sorts of radical things. You know, you'd sort of think they'd come along on the service side and say, and this, and you can get this with it, which nobody else has done. And the president, whose name I'm probably going to mess up, I think it's Yamada, um, right? Not the guy, not the guy who's the CEO of the whole racketing group. The sort of yeah, he's called he's called Mickey Mikitani, Mantle or Mikitani. Oh, there we yeah. go. Uh, Hiroshi Mikitani, I think, is his name. Is but I the, thought but, he had alliterative name. But, there but, we go. but the guy who, well, his Mickey gets referred to as Mickey, but that's just oh, the that's taken from his yeah, surname. Yeah. Oh, I get it now. Um, but the the guy that's who's how cruel the, of his parents. I anyway. know. The, I think he's just picked that to be honest with you, because no one can in the West can sort of say Hiroshi probably. But, right. So. But the, the like guy, you. the guy who's the, another senior executive called Yamada, who's the president of Rakuten, um, he got asked what, what, why, what are the benefits of five G. And you thought, okay, he, here he's going to say, well, we've got all these new applications. I'm so pleased you asked. And he went, well, there's a lot more capacity, isn't there? So you can watch films really quickly and it's you get faster, latency for, for good gaming. <laughs> yeah, he was, a he was like a bit right, like Ray Winston as well. He was like, you know, it's like... <laughs> it's a little bit faster, isn't it? <laughs> but it's just, it just a bit... It's a little it's bit underwhelming. one better, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I... Tarika means really convincing guy, and I think what they're doing on the technology side is interesting and exciting. And they have these Japanese firms that they're using as alternatives to, you know, the big kit vendors. And you know, it all sounds great, but I just feel on the, 
you know, on the, on the consumer t- adoption side of things, I think they've got quite a lot to prove. And the trouble is that if you're pricing things at that level as well, you really need a lot of traffic. You need a lot of business to be able to break even on your rollout costs. And, and they, they, can, they can talk as much as they want about how much more cost-effective their technologies are and how much they're saving. But they've still got to send engineers around the country. They've still got to build out mobile yeah. sites. They're a greenfield place. So they've got... They racked up massive lo- massive losses, but they racked up losses at last quarter because of, because of the mobile rollout. Yeah, well, capex, That's the whole group. capex must be massive. And it's going to take them longer to break even if they they've got to, If you're going to price things really low, you've got to attract a lot of business. Yeah, right. That's the scalable um, internet model. Or you put five G up at a premium price and maybe accept so less. I, what so I assume they're doing is the, the reason they're not putting a premium on five G, and they know that they're launching it a bit early. Is they're just they're going to people look, you know, look at all the extra stuff you keep getting for no extra price. Yeah, five G might be in its infancy now, but you know they they guarantee that price for a certain while. They're giving a three million subscriptions away for free. free aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Which actually that's pretty damning. If they haven't even managed a million subscribers and there's three million for free, yeah, then there's two million just sitting there gathering but, dust. Th- but the question is, in a way, why get into? I mean. Why get into the network's game at all? They already had 100 million subscribers, right? This is a lot. They're a big, they're a big company. Really? To their, to their sort of TV customers, and digital services? To their other services. services, their digital services, was how many they had. I see. Um, so yeah. you're, you're questioning the whole premise yeah, I mean, for this Am- strategic Amazon's move. Amazon's not going to go and build... Well, they'll probably do this now that I've just said this, <laughs> but they're not going to go and build a radio network, are they? Google's not going to go and build no. a radio network. Amazon won't go um, smartphones. Microsoft's not going to build a radio network. We're going to talk about this in a minute, yeah. the cloud side of things, but... What, you know, but they're not going to get into the why, actual... Why get into... What, you're pricing something really low, so you're probably not going like, to make a lot of money. Even even with a few million customers, You know, you, you, if you're pricing it that low, okay, your costs are a lot lower anyway, so your margins are maybe... So you're saying healthy, why not be just more like Virgin Media and just be an MVNO and let that be well, why, why even bother being, If they've already got 100 million customers that they can sell all these, all these whizzy services on and they've got low... They're not a capital-intensive company like an operator is... Why even get into that game well, at I all? Well, I think now you're now you're sort of starting conversation about multiplay and, and the the wisdom of that. Well, I, I've got a theory about why they want to be in it. Okay, yeah, go for it. My theory about why they want to be in it is this is not about the Japanese telecom uh, market. Uh, this is about the international telecom market. So this gets you into this racket and communications platform, yeah. which is basically their attempt to build like a, a sort of telco cloud where you can come along. So say you're another operator, maybe a greenfield player like Dish, for instance, which is the one doing the same sort of thing in the US. You come along and Rakuten's got this storefront, like a, almost like an app store, where you can go and you can pick and choose technologies and applications. Basically the plumbing in a box, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, but you can get a lot of the software that they're using. So for instance, Altiostar, which is the company that actually Rakuten Majority owns. It's a US firm, but it's majority owned by Rakuten. They do the software for the radio access network, and that is now a part of the records and communications platform. And you could, in theory, as another operator, you could come along and buy Altiostar software through the records and communications platform and sort of run that in a sort yeah. of cloud, basically. Yeah, You're so still going to go out and buy your hardware is, you and know, shit, but... Which is, let's not forget, and, and we will, and, you know, we're leading up to going into this in slightly more depth, but that's, that's the cloud dream, is that you you can have this off-the-peg yeah. sort of uh, marketplace of of quite advanced 
um, sort of technological products because everything's virtualized and softwareized and yeah. and interchangeable and in containers. You can just Lego it all together. Yeah, that's the dream. But, isn't that, it? but that is a. I think. I mean, they've said, they've put a, a value on that, which is, and I don't know whether this is an an annual value, but I, I don't know where they've got this from. But they've said they value that market at up to three hundred and eighty billion dollars. You know, that is a much bigger opportunity to go yeah. around the world and and be. Let's let's say they become the main provider yeah. of telco cloud services to other operators in the future. I'm not saying they will, because there's obviously lots of competition. But if they could, that's a much, much bigger opportunity. And the reason they're doing what they're doing in Japan is to prove this stuff works. Yeah, So they have to prove this stuff works and show that these new might be. I think you might be onto something, because, um, you know, Japanese oligarchs on the whole, like Masayoshi Son, is that his name? Oh, that idiot. But, but, but look, I mean, the reason I'm bringing him up is because it wasn't enough for him to just have SoftBank. He's got to go and get involved in everything. Yeah. And maybe this lad, Mickey, has got to, <laughs> has got to get involved in other stuff as well. And there's a couple of other people who would back you up. As I, I embedded um, a Twitter stream from another independent analyst called Dean Bubbly. Yeah. Uh, and he'd been going on about how this... You know, what you were just describing should be a matter of concern to to incumbents everywhere, yeah. uh, especially in the context of consolidation. Because typically, like in Europe, where they've where they've seemed to decide you've got to have four operators. You know, if if you have consolidation and such to three, then the government's going to insist on a, on a new startup operator. Yeah, and that startup operator now has the potential to just go off to. Rakuten and go, we'll have your uh, yeah. cutting edge thing in a box, please. Well, I think the government, I mean, we're getting off topic a bit here, mm. but I, I'm not sure Europe's going to carry on doing that because that's been the problem in the past, right. hasn't it? That that's not really consolidation then. You're just basically keeping it as a full play. This is what they did in Italy, isn't it? You, yeah. can, you can merge, but you need to go and sell a load of stuff to Iliad. Yeah, no, and I mean, then, that, that and is flawed. And, and, and that so, is, as you say, something we could discuss in depth. But but his, his point was if. Yeah. You know, if a vacuum is created, it's now more likely to be filled by a very competitive so, you know the other one that's player. doing this united internet in germany one okay, and one drillage oh yeah yeah, yeah. Drillage, that's right. united internet it's okay. the same company they're building a fourth mobile network in germany they picked up spectrum in the auction they're doing open ran there we go they've not provided details of uh, i mean i tried to get in touch with them actually they didn't respond to me so if you're listening united internet yeah. then come on but, um, but they've not sort of said more about who they're using and, and when they plan to launch and what they're doing. But they they did make a, a like an investor presentation where they said it's going to be an open round rollout. So, and the other person I've got to give a shout out to, and actually that will allow us to sort of move on. To, we're not going to be able to talk about that other five G thing we chatted about because we banged on about other things so much. Oh, yeah. That little report on how important it is. Well, it's all been interesting now. Hasn't yeah, it? yeah, no, it's just time. <laughs> um, uh, I spoke to someone called Danielle Royston. Mm-hmm who used to be CEO of a company called Optiva and is now setting up her own thing, the precise form of which I don't think has yet to be announced. But she was, I was chatting to her and she was sort of confirming that, that similar angle on, you know, this, this does all seem like it's a source of extra strategic concern for incumbent operators everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing we chatted about, and, and I'd, she'd provided a, a quote which I used, which is our sort of final segment talking about telco cloud, um, was uh, Microsoft made an announcement this week on the back of a couple of acquisitions it made this year of Affirmed Networks Affirmed and Metaswitch. Well. Have I yep. got that right? Yep. Um, not totally seen all yet. That's good to know. Um, and basically they said that they've come up with Azure for, for operators. Yeah. And Azure is their cloud platform. And there's basically three main 
public cloud players, which is AWS, Amazon, um, Microsoft, Azure, and, and Google Cloud. Yeah. And they're all quite keen on, on working with operators these days, aren't they? Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so we had a little chat about that, and this is something Danielle's been talking about for a while, and her big thing is pro-public cloud, anti-private cloud. I don't really understand the minutiae of it well enough to, to comment on her position. But if I had to dumb it down to Scott language, it would just be that, you know, in terms of sort of things like interoperability and this off-the-peg kind of stuff, and also the low capex, um, the public cloud just makes sense because it's all just sitting there for you. And yep. people like AWS and Microsoft and Google have done a great job of creating sort of special tools for particular verticals such as telcos. Yeah, but it's a big move for telcos to do that, and it's yeah. not happened. So... So why do, why do you well, think well I talked to so I talked to Gabe, Gabriel Brown at Heavy Reading and James Crawshaw at Omdia about that the Microsoft announcement right to get their sort of perspective on it and and just sort of get an idea of the trends I guess really and what, what's going on but you know and Gabe was like this is a really big statement by Microsoft of its of its intentions here it really sees a you know an opportunity to go and yeah you know be the and it's got a, he said it's got a much more sort of coherent offer and pitch than the other two players at the moment okay you know they, they had this very interesting table actually in their blog they put together where they had all the all the different sort of parts I nearly there. used that one and they, everything was sort of lit up but we can cover this apart from radio access network and then I remember specifically asking um, a few people this week actually both both those guys but also some people in the industry. You know, could you see, that, you know, as you say, they bought a firm networks and MetaSwitch, which are core network providers. Right. Well, Altiostar with Rakuten, this is basically what Rakuten's doing with Altiostar, is taking that radio software and doing a similar thing. You know, you host yeah. it through a, a cloud platform. What about, you know, Microsoft perhaps going out and buying someone like Mavenir or Parallel Wireless? I was going to say, yeah. You know, which, which. Why not? Well, I got mixed views on that. I mean, the, but I think um, Gabe was less convinced that something like that might happen because he said, in theory, you could do something like that and run the software that way, but it's it's more complicated because there's obviously, and as we know, there's a much more sort of hardware side to the whole sort of radio access network. Um, there's there's antennas. Yeah. There's it's not just a software game. You know, you need yeah. to go out and build sites. And, and do they really want to overreach? And, and there's that and there's, there's going to be some kind of overlap. There's going to have to be some kind of knowledge about how that works. So it's, it's yeah. A the one the to biggest see overlap comes at the edge, doesn't it? I the impression I get from the big sort of. Um, internet giants is they they want part of the action but their interest kind of stops at the edge yeah um and that's fine so they've got to get good at they've got to get good at the edge and as long as um you know the data centers they run at the edge can uh, interact with open ran type of stuff yeah at at the at the sort of radio level then i guess there's no need for them to get directly involved but, but certainly in the core network side you know, as you say affirmed and metaswitch gives microsoft the ability to do that yeah. already the thing is they haven't got telcos you know this I, I don't think either james or uh, gabriel could come up with uh, an example of a company that's gone and into a deal where it's put its core network on the public cloud yeah. What you tend to see happening is well, culturally, in, that's a really tough one. For it's a to, tough one. I mean, you you you're basically entrusting a, a big, you know, a sensitive area of your network. You know, the whole Huawei debate that we were just talking yeah. about earlier is about the, how sensitive the core is. You're basically saying this stuff's been on your own data centers, your own private clouds, basically totally. your own data centers. All of a sudden, you're giving a sort of ownership of it almost yeah. to Microsoft. You know, it's a, a metaphor for me is, is my attitude to music and why. I've yet to subscribe to Spotify. Yeah. I like to buy the CDs and have them. 
and I'll, I'll burn them onto my computer and I'll listen to it as digital music on my phone yeah. or whatever, or, you know, put them into the cloud with Google Music. But I still like to have the master. Yeah. Um, and I just don't like the thought of if I stop paying Spotify its money, then no more music for Scott. So, yeah, I think it's a cultural thing, but it's... It... It's also, you know, if, if, if it does start to go this way and, and some of the people I was talking to are, are more convinced that it, it will and, and even, even you know, James and Gabe were both saying in the future it's going to start to happen. We'll see some company do this and then it could it could open the floodgates to some extent. You see others following, especially if it works out really well and they get the sort of margin savings that everybody's talking about. Where, where does it go? In, in, in the future, you're, in, you're talking about three big cloud players that have already taken control of retail and all sorts of other sectors and disrupted them. And this is one yeah. area that still sort of belongs to the, the telcos in a yeah, way. Yeah, and, totally. then, and then obviously you're entrusting this thing with, you know, what if, what if all telcos in the world decide at some point in the future that they should shift their software into scary, the public? It? Like it's quite a scary thought because it gives a small number of companies control over something that's that essential to the way we sort of live our lives nowadays and yeah and, and just to illustrate that point there was another story i wrote which i'm not going to go into great depth especially as i keep getting l- looks from pierre there's a battery about to run out or something no, just I time okay so I'll, well I'll, I'll sort of wrap it up here then if you don't mind yeah um but i, I wrote there's a little story about how amazon's come up with a, a palm reader for for retail so you can just pay you know, it's like a fingerprint reader but it's just palm and the thing is you 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 don't even need to touch. Yep. You can read it for a couple of inches away. And a lot of the American press were like, oh, this is a bit weird. This is a bit, this is a bit dystopian. And I sort of thought, okay, but why? And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with it from a privacy point of view. It's exactly the same as using a fingerprint reader, which is what I use to unlock this. Uh, and I don't think twice about that. But just the thought that there's just yet another bit of your life which you're entrusting to Amazon, because they're going to license this stuff out in a bit like the Rakuten model. Yeah. And so if suddenly Amazon's controlling how you inter- how you physically interact with the commercial world at all places, because this will be used for getting into stadiums, used for paying for stuff, um, then yes, it does come to a point where you're like, is there anything that isn't controlled by one of the fangs? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes. Okay, well, I'll, I'll leave it there. But that's certainly the direction of travel, isn't it? It's a worrying I, thought. And I think it, back to the telco cloud, I think it's understandable for the telco community to have some resistance on that basis, even if practically, as people like Danielle would probably insist, there are tons of advantages to them. Yeah. It might well, be irrational. very much looking at it from a business perspective. Yeah. And yeah, it's efficiency is the driver to do it. But culturally, you can, you can see, yeah. and not just from a telco perspective, I mean, if you're a regulator or a consumer, it's a question for us that those, those players, it comes up all the time, yeah. the power those companies have. Yeah, and everything's groovy um, now, but then in a year's time, they change their T's and C's. Yeah. And they hold you to ransom. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd feel a bit queasy about it as well. Okay, cool. Don't want any more dirty looks from Pierre, so I'm going to wrap it up there. So uh, thanks a lot for watching, and make sure you join us for the next one. <laughs>